Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Have you ever had to wait a really long time for something? Not talking about having to wait five minutes for a bell to ring to be dismissed, or even 20 minutes for your food to be delivered. Talking about having to wait for something so long that you lose hope that it will ever happen. A few years ago, I lost hope while waiting for something. My body had started having a strong reaction to something, and the doctors had no idea what it was. After months of doctor visits and getting worse rather than better, I began to lose hope that they would figure out what was going on, and that I would just have to hope I could manage the symptoms for the rest of my life. After about a year of doctor visits, various remedies that didn't work, and feelings of hopelessness, I finally got referred to a doctor who was able to figure out that allergies were the root cause and get me the healing I needed. For me, it felt like a long and miserable time, and hope had seemed to disappear. But it only lasted a year before I was on the other side. The account from John we'll be going over today involves the healing of a disabled man who was paralyzed for 38 years. He had lost hope of being healed, but God had used him to demonstrate his power and care through his son, Jesus Christ. If you would rise for the reading of God's word. So. Reading from John 5, verses 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They answered him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man, had been, he, the man who had been healed did not know who, who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd please allow your message to be spoken through this tonight, um, and that you'd help the people to retain what is taught tonight. Pray this on your son's holy and precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So John starts off this account by setting the scene. In verse 1, John says that it was Jesus, 
going up to Jerusalem for a feast. The Jews observed three feasts that, were, that required the Jewish men to go to Jerusalem to attend. These three feasts were the Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. John doesn't specify which of these feasts it was. I think this is partially due to the fact that the actual events are more important than which feast they were attending. Second indication of time comes from verse 9. There it states that these events took place on the Sabbath. This is an important detail because, as with many other times in the Gospels, it puts Jesus on a collision course with the Jews as they, they see it as him defying their man-made Sabbath laws while he was actually doing God's work. John tells us that this event takes place at a pool called Bethesda. This pool appears to have many names or at least many spellings, but most scholars agree with the Greek transliteration of Bethesda being the most accurate. This word comes from the Hebrew words Beth and Chesed, Beth means house and is seen in other locations names such as Bethel, which means house of God. Second part of the word said is translated a few different ways in the Bible. Sometimes it is translated as mercy, grace, or loving kindness. So the name of this pool, Bethesda, means house of mercy, which is a rather fitting name with the events that are about to transpire here. We can also gather from verses 7 and verse 4, more on verse 4 in a little bit, uh, that this pool is believed to have supernatural healing abilities. John mentions that many disabled people gathered there. In ancient times, being disabled often meant that you had to beg and rely on the kindness of others in order to survive. John specifically mentioned three groups of disabled people who gathered by the pool, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. These three groups would have had the hardest time making it to the pool in hopes of receiving a healing and would have been the most dependent on others for life in general. In verse 5, we learn that the man in question had been disabled for 38 years. While John doesn't mention what his disability was, we can ascertain that it was either paralysis or at least lameness, meaning that his feet were damaged or injured in some way, rendering them unusable. A little bit of a side trail here, but uh, there are two interesting things of note in this passage. Um, in verse 2, John used the present tense when referring to the pool, stating that there is in Jerusalem, before describing the pool. Uh, it's not enough evidence on its own, but it gives more backing to the generally accepted uh, theory that John wrote his account before the fall of Jerusalem. And the second uh, item is verse 4. How many of you remember seeing verse 4, if you're looking in your Bible? I'm betting none of you did, because unless you were reading the King James Version, it most likely was not in line with the rest of the text. This is because most scholars agree that verse 4 and a little bit at the end of verse 3 were added years after John wrote his letter to help the reader understand what was special about this pool and why people were gathered there. So now we get to what actually happened as Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus sees this man who has been disabled for 38 years and asks him a simple question. Do you want to get well? In verse 7, you can sense this man's hopelessness as he responds. He'd been suffering from his disability for so long that he didn't believe that he would ever be healed. He believed that his only chance of healing would come from this pool, but even then, the man still didn't think that it would ever happen. Theologian Charles Spurgeon describes the scene as follows. A blindness had come over the people at the pool. There they were, and there was Christ, who could heal them. But not a single one of them sought him. Their eyes were fixed on the water, expecting it to be troubled. They were so taken up with their chosen way that the true way was neglected. This miracle also differs from the other miracles John writes of in that it was not preceded by faith. 
This man didn't have faith in Jesus, and he didn't even know who he was. However, Jesus used this as an opportunity to demonstrate that God's power is not limited by people's faith. This man had not asked Jesus for anything, nor had he done anything to deserve this. But Jesus took this opportunity to show grace. Jesus' response was short but authoritative. He told the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the man was healed instantly. Not only was he healed, but he immediately did as Jesus had commanded as well. I want you to put yourself in the man's shoes for a second here. You've been unable to walk for 38 years. You've had to beg for money to sustain yourself. You've been sitting at this pool for years, hoping that you could get in and be healed, but are continually let down as someone gets in before you can get there. One day, this man who you've never met comes up to you and asks you if you want to get well. Next, he tells you, get up, take your mat, and walk. Most of us would have hesitated and thought to ourselves, like, I haven't tried that before, or great, another whack job, just what I needed. Theologian John Calvin describes the man's reaction in this manner. The sick man does what we nearly all do. He limits God's help to his own ideas and does not dare promise himself more that, his, that he conceives in his mind. This situation would have been so mind-boggling to us, but Jesus spoke to this man with such authority that he immediately did what he was told and didn't hesitate. Now the Jewish authorities enter the scene. John doesn't specify how quickly the events of verse 10 happened after the healing in verse 9, but it is safe to assume that this was within seconds or minutes of the he this healing. These authorities most likely had seen this man many times over the 38 years he had been disabled and coming to the pool, and would have recognized that he was disabled. But what was their first thought? That he was breaking their man-made Sabbath laws by carrying his mat. It was not the actual laws of Moses that, or the actual laws Moses had received from God and passed on to the Israelites, but it was their own interpretation and man-made laws that of what they believed to be permissible and not permissible on the Sabbath. When the authorities stopped him, the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Even if the authorities had somehow missed this man over the 38 years he had been disabled, this should have made them realize the miracle that had just taken place. However, they were so blinded by their devotion to their laws that they couldn't see what was right in front of them. They completely ignored that this man had just been miraculously healed and instead demanded to know who told him to pick up his mat and walk. It wasn't because they wanted to meet this man, but it was because they were enraged that someone would dare defy their laws and tell others to break them as well. They didn't see this as a miracle from God performed by the Son of God, but as an act of a mere man who was opposing their laws and authority. However, the man had no idea who Jesus was, and Jesus had disappeared into the crowd, so he could not identify him at the time. Shortly after this interaction with the Jewish authorities, Jesus found him and gave him a much more solemn message. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. This would have been a rather shocking message to hear. This man had been disabled for 38 years. He would have needed help to perform basic tasks, such as moving around, and had to rely on, other, on begging in order to sustain himself. But here was Jesus telling him that the consequences of sin were far worse than any suffering or ailment that he could possibly face on earth. Comedian Tim Hawkins has a bit making fun of how much we overuse the phrase, that is the worst. He cites how his daughter had to wait for her friends at the mall once and described the situation as being the worst. 
Because of our culture's overuse of this phrase, we often downplay it when someone tells us that something is going to be worse. We just think, oh, it'll just be slightly more inconvenient kind of thing. But in this passage, Jesus could not be more serious. He knew exactly what would happen to someone if they did not repent and receive God's gift of salvation. This, uh, this passage also serves as an excellent example of how we are called to care for others. Jesus met the physical needs of this man by healing him, but did not neglect the more important aspect of his spiritual needs. We may not be able to heal people like Jesus, but we can still meet the physical needs of our neighbors, but we can't forget about their spiritual needs as well. We can also easily go to the other extreme and only care about their spiritual needs while neglecting the opportunity to meet their physical needs, which can also be bad. But uh, James spends a lot of time in, on this in his letter. Uh, upon hearing this warning from Jesus, the man goes to the authorities and tells them that it was Jesus who healed him, told him to take up his mat and walk. This is the last we hear about the man. We don't know if he repented and followed Jesus or if he continued as he had before, but ultimately he was not the focus of the story. The Jewish authorities persecuted Jesus for the things he had been doing. This wasn't just a one-off incident, but Jesus's actions and teachings continued to threaten the Jewish authorities, the power of the Jewish authorities. The remainder of chapter 5 is an account of just one of these confrontations. In verse 17, Jesus defends his actions, saying that, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. This infuriated the Jewish leaders. To better understand why they were so infuriated, we, need, we must understand how Jews regarded God. They understood him to be God the Father, but they didn't use phrases such as my father because they saw it as too intimate and blasphemous since you were saying that you were in so close of a relationship that you were literally from God. Jesus' claim here was not lost on the Jews. He was saying that he was in so close a relationship with God that he was of the same being as God, that he was God. This statement drove the Jewish authorities who believed that Jesus was a mere man breaking their Sabbath laws to try even harder to have him killed. Even with all the, their knowledge of the Bible, all the prophecies of the coming Messiah, the miracles and other evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, they could not see what was right in front of them. They rejected the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. So where does this leave us? I think Jesus himself says it best in verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Just as with the man at the pool, Jesus is before us offering a gift of mercy and grace, not because we deserved it, nor because we asked for it, but because we have a God who cares so much about us that he sent his son to live a perfect life, die in our place, and rise from the dead to make a way for us to be reconciled to himself. So we're left with a choice. Are we so set in our ways or beliefs that we will not recognize this miraculous gift from God standing right in front of us and choose to reject God and face the eternal consequences of our sins? Or will we humble ourselves, repent of our sins, and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Uh, Closing prayer here. So. God, I want to thank you for your message here tonight. I pray that you'd help us to remember what we have learned here and to be applying it to our lives as we go forward. Son's holy and precious name, amen.